uh, his depression of mind and spirit because of all the things that's happened to him. He, uh, he's fled Jerusalem. And then he's got all of this, all of this uh, mental and spiritual anguish and, and and he talked about being weak and we we talked about that word a couple of weeks ago just withering and uh, he cried for healing his bones were were vexed and even his soul was sore vexed he said and then he asked an unanswered question oh lord how long you know, it's like we can assume that, you know, David is asking God how long this is going to transpire. He's already admitted his, his weakness and, and the fact that he seems to be withering. And then he asks, you know, the Lord for how long. And, you know, just God didn't say anything. You know, he just... He didn't say anything. You ever had those times that, you know, you asked the Lord a question and he just didn't say anything at that particular time? Well, I, I have. <laughs> Amen. Well, you ask God questions? Yeah, I ask God questions. I, I, don't, I don't question God from the standpoint of, you know, what do, what do you think you're doing? But I do ask the Lord questions. And um, that's not sacrilegious. It's not, it's not wrong. You know, if he chooses not to give me an answer, that's his business. But David asked God how long. And, that's, and we, we referenced that. That's not the only place. This Psalm 6 is not the only place that the, the psalmist asked God you know, how long, you know, and so uh, then he goes on and he talks about deliver my soul, save me for your mercy's sake. And we talked about that last week for there's no death or remembrance of thee uh, or in death. There's no remembrance of thee and in the grave who, who shall give you thanks. And so he's kind of letting the Lord know if I die and there's no there's no thanks in the grave. You know, I, I can't remember, you know, and the the idea here uh, when David said, you know, in death there is no remembrance of you. The idea here is not just, you know, having things that God has done stored in his memory. But yet the, the implication is that in death... There certainly is no remembrance, but when we remember you, you know, we, we talk about you. We praise you. We, we worship you. And there's none of that in the grave, for in the grave who shall give thee thanks. And so then in verses 6 and 7, David continues with the description of the death, of the depth of his, mem- uh, of his misery. It, it seems as if his prayer has died away after his comments about there being no praise in the grave. His, 
depression seems to give way to weariness because he just simply stated, I am weary with my groaning. Weary describes his present condition. I'm weary. And, and, and when, when David is talking about being weary, he's talking about to grow tired. That is to be or to become in need of a state of rest caused by physical or emotional needs. He said, I'm weary. I'm tired. I I am I'm in need of a state of rest. This this emotional and and physical test that uh, has been experienced is it is caused this weariness this this being tired. Have you ever you ever been just weary? You know I'm not talking about just. Physically, you know, I'm, I'm talking about physically, emotionally, even spiritually, you know, and, and sometimes we, we, we kind of feel like it's admitting defeat if we say that, you know, I'm weak spiritually, I'm, I'm weak, I'm, I'm, I'm in need of, of something even spiritually. But let's face reality. Even from a spiritual standpoint, none of us skips across the tops of the mountains every day. Now, there are people that that want to put on airs like they do, but they don't. They don't. Even David admitted in his writings that there's that there's times I'm I'm in the valley. Not always on the mountaintop. I, I'm in the valley, and 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 he he makes me. David said to lie down in green pastures. What what's he talking about? He's he's talking about exactly what he's saying here. In Psalm chapter 6 when he says, I am weary with my groaning. I'm, I'm tired of this. I, I, I am in need of a state of rest. And that's what's implied in Psalm 26 when he says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. When you lie down, you're, you're reclining. When you lie down, you're you're in the position of rest. Amen. See, we we don't always have to go to bed to lie down, but we got we got chairs now that's called recliners. You know, I get in mine and kick my feet up, and then before long the I start laying back and I get further and further and further back and you know can't be there too long until you're in an unconscious state. What are you doing? You're resting. You're in the position 
of rest. And David said, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And so now David finds himself in the, uh, in, in the, the condition, the present condition of being weary. He said, I am, I am weary with my groaning. David was exhausted with his groaning, his sighing, his moaning, his sounds or expressions of emotional or physical pain. He said, I'm weary of that. I am, I'm tired of that. You ever been there? Ever been there? Amen. Just, just tired of the situation. Tired of the circumstance. Tired of the same old thing. Well, see, it, it, it's not until you get weary and tired of a present condition... That, that you tend to have an attitude change. Right. Or a change of thinking. And, and that's what's coming up here momentarily. But, but David said, I'm weary with this. I am weary with all of this groaning, these, these sounds of pain and the sounds of, of pressure and... These expressions of emotional and physical pain that I'm experiencing. I'm, I'm tired of this. You know, where I came from, there was, a, there was an old expression called sick and tired. I'm sick and tired. I've heard people say, well, I'm just, I'm just sick and tired. And you say, well, what are you sick and tired of? And I've heard people say, well, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. They're, 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 they are identifying with what David is saying. I'm, just, I'm sick and tired of this. I'm tired of being in this state. I'm tired of, of running for my life. I'm tired of all of this spiritual and emotional trauma. You know, because of, of what I have done in the past, I am just tired of it. I'm tired of all of it. And until, again, until you get tired of something, of being a certain way or being in a, a, a certain condition, then... Chances are, you, we don't do anything to change it. Amen. We just kind of rock on. And, and rock on. And, you know, and, and I've been, been mentioning and talking about revival. We need revival in the church. We, we need revival in the church. But, but listen, until we get tired... Of not having individual revival, we just kind of rock on. We, we just kind of rock on, you know, and just 
You know, and, and to the to the point that we, you know, we get comfortable just doing what we do. And until we get tired of being that way, it's not going to cause, or, or there's not going to be a mental, emotional, and a spiritual change in the matter. Amen. Amen. Until, until we get tired of not feeling God. Until we get tired of just feeling weak and weary and just worn out. You know, don't you ever get tired of just feeling wrung out? But, but you know, I, some people, I guess some people like feeling wrung out. Because they can just sit around all day. Just feeling wrung out. But, but that gets old. That gets tired. That gets wearisome. You know, and we'll take a little sidebar. In, you know, right here, I, I read a book and I refer to it. I refer back to it periods of time. But uh, there, there, there was a book that was... That was written um, by a former Navy SEAL commander, and uh, and and he retired uh, as a Navy SEAL, and and he has he has a company now where he trains people in you know particular martial art, and he does motivational you know speaking to to uh, companies you know to motivate. The workforce, and you know, and 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 he makes this statement in in that book. He said, "You can recognize the fact that you need to change, but until you put a date on the change, nothing will ever happen." He said, "You want to you want to lose weight? You want to get in shape?" People say, "Well." You know what? I'll, I'm going to start something the first of the year. He said, you know what happens? First of the year comes and you don't do anything. Or they say, well, you know what? I'm going I'm I'm to get through this week and I'll start fresh the first of the week. You know, it, it's, a, it's a new week. We can start fresh. He said, you know what happens? 9.9 .9 times out of 10, the new week comes and you had not done one thing. He said, if you want to change anything in your life, he said, you have got to determine today is the day. We're not going another day like this. We're not going another week like this. We're not going another month like this. Today, it changes. So whatever the goal is, you know, if the goal is to, it is to be in better shape physically and, and lose weight, if I need to get off sugar, I need I get off sugar today. Not tomorrow, nor the next day, or the next, but it starts today. See, that's the way change Happens in a church. Invariably, in David's situation, 
That's, that's the way change happened to him later in the chapter. Obviously, David somehow got to a place and said, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm going to change my attitude. I'm going to change my expectancy. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to stop I'm just going to stop begging God for these things. And, but, but yet, where we are right now, He's still going on in this condition. He's still using this language of how bad it is and how much He hurts and how sorrowful He is and, and, and all of His weeping and His crying and His wailing. Because He said... In verse, or the latter part of verse number six, he said, All the night I make my bed to swim. My, my, I water my couch with my tears. David said, I'm not doing anything but just laying around crying, wailing, moaning, wishing it could be better, wishing it could get better so I'm weary with my groaning I'm tired of all of this emotional and spiritual stress and all the night I make my bed to swim I water my couch with my tears he said my eye is consumed because of, of grief it waxes old because of all of mine enemies. And, and he's saying this in response to what his foes have done to him. The foes that would have normally aroused David to action now only crush his spirit. David was accustomed to responding to his foes. Recall in 1 Samuel chapter 25. I want to go there and, and, and just and read here very, very quickly. 1 Samuel chapter 25. Beginning in verse number 1. Now you, you know the story well. 1 Samuel 25 and... And verse number one. <clears throat> and Samuel died. And all the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him and buried him in his, in his house at Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in uh, Maon whose possessions were in Carmel. And the man was very great. He had 3,000 sheep, had 1,000 goats, and he was shearing the sheep in Carmel. Now, the name of the man was Nabal. And the name of his wife, Abigail. She was a woman of good understanding. And, and a beautiful countenance. But, but the man was churlish and evil in his doings. And, and he was 
of the house of Caleb. And David heard in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep. And David sent out ten young men and said unto the young men, Go you up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus shall you say to him that liveth in prosperity, Peace be both to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be unto all that you have. And now, I have heard that thou hast shearers, and my shepherds, which were with us, were, were hurt, uh, we hurt them not. Neither was there aught missing unto them, all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they'll, they'll show you. Wherefore, let the young men find favor in your, in your eyes, for we come in a good day. Give, I pray thee, whatsoever cometh to thine hand unto thy servants and to thy son David. And when David's young men came, they spake to Nabal according to all the words in the name of David and ceased. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Shall I take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shearers and given unto men whom I know not whence they be? So David's young men returned their way and went again and came and told him all these things. And David said unto his men, Gird you every, every man his sword. And they girded on every man his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And therefore, uh, and there went, went up after David about 400 men, and 200 still abode by the stuff. Now drop down to verse number 32. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me, and bless be thy advice, and blessed be thou, which has kept me this day from coming to shed blood, and from avenging myself of my, with mine own hand. For in very deed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, which hath kept me back from hurting you, except thou hast hasted and come to me, surely there had, had not been left unto Nabal by the morning light any well any male see David was accustomed this was his normal response David came to, 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 to Nabal and, and Abigail with the full intent because his men had protected Nabal's shearers. Even the young men of Nabal said, you know, they, they were like a wall unto us. And the whole time that we were shearing, there, there was nothing that touched us. Because they were like a wall and David protected them. And now to get rebuffed? David had every intent of executing every male in the house of Nabal before the morning sun arose. See, that was David's normal response. 
to his foes. That was the normal way David handled his adversaries. But now, now, his enemies have him weary, groaning, and weeping to the point that his bed and his couch are wet with his tears. Again, verse 6, I drench my couch with my tears. Verse number 7, he said, my, my eye waste away because of my grief. The word waste there is to become weak. Uh, to no longer function normally. And is in a state of incapacity. David said, because of, because of my tears, because of my grief, my, my eyes aren't even working right. His eyes fail him, not because of an inability to see, but because of his grief. Because of where he is. Because of what's happening. Because this has been, been going on for a period of time. And he asked God, how long? And there is no response from the Lord. See, what David's experiencing is not so, so much different than what you and I experience. Because we can get in a circumstance and a situation that's like our eyes fail us. Because that circumstance is all we can see. Some people call it tunnel vision. You, you get into a situation... I, I call it our little bubble. We, we get in our little bubble. You know, because, you know, because a little bit of physical pain incapacitates us. It causes us to lose focus. Not just on what we need to be doing, but it causes us to lose focus as to what God has expected of us in the realm of the kingdom of God. And it renders us useless. Because all I can see is my pain. My problem. My circumstance. My hardship. My dilemma. And we, we don't have any, any examples in the Bible especially in the New Testament, where God ever intended His people to live in a little bubble. Well, my body hurts. Can I give you a news flash? Nowadays, most everybody's body hurts. Especially the older you get. Your body hurts because of misuse. Your body hurts because things just start wearing out. It, it is, in effect, the law, the second law of thermodynamics. Whatever exists will wear out. There's nothing you can do about it. So why does it cause us to lose our 
our focus. Why does it cause our eyes to fail as David is saying here? My eyes are failing me. Not because of an inability to see, but because of what's happening in his life at that particular moment of time. People say, well, I just can't, I just can't do this. My legs hurt. My legs hurt every, my legs hurt every step I take. But I still walk about, probably on, on average, I still walk about three miles a day working. And every step I take is pain. Every step is pain. Every step is pain. Well, you know, I just don't know if I'd do that. Well, it's just, there's just one little problem that I've got. I know it's a failure. I know it's a weakness of the flesh, but it's still a problem. That problem is, Brother Thomas, I like to eat. And Paul said, if you don't work. But we get like David and we and, and our eyes fail because all we can focus on, we get this tunnel vision. You know, just tunnel vision. We just it's like that old mule or that horse that's got blinders on, they call it. It, it. it stops them from being able to see, you know, in their peripheral vision. All I want you to be able to see is that, is that row of corn that we're going to plow, you know. I don't want you looking around and that's all they can see. But let me tell you something. When we get to the point that we get like David and our eyes begin to fail because of grief and because of pain and because of problems and heartaches, then we lose sight of everything that we need to be doing to accomplish something in the kingdom of God. That tunnel vision renders us useless in God's kingdom because we think I can't perform anything for God unless everything's 100%. Unless I don't have any pain in my body, unless I don't have any sickness going on, I can't worship God if I got pain in, in, in my body and all of this kind of stuff that we allow to limit us when really, you know what we really need to do sometimes? Is just a real good thorough study on the life of Paul. And see what kind of tunnel vision Paul had. Paul said it like this. I bear in my body the marks What's he talking about? The marks. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. What, what are you talking about, Paul? You bear in your body the, the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you see this lump I got on my shoulder right here? That, that's from a stone. Not talking about little stones like we talk about stones. Because when somebody is stoned in the Middle East, they're picking up rock, they're picking up boulders and casting it at them and throwing it on their on their bodies. You know, you know what what's wrong? Why are you limping today, Paul? Well, I got stoned yesterday. 
Well, looks like you wouldn't even be here today. What's the stoning? When, when, there, when there's work to be done. The gospel's got to be preached. You, you know what? Well, you know what? You, you, look, look at this scar right here. That, that scar right there is what I got in the shipwreck. I bear in my body. Look at here. Two marks on the back of my hand that don't go away. What, what is that, Paul? That's a viper bite. Snake bite. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what the sad thing is? And I'm not trying to condemn anybody. But you know what the sad thing is? We're going to stand before the same judgment seat of Christ as the Apostle Paul is going to stand. And under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, he said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. This thing hasn't been easy. And I'm going to tell you something right now. There's not a one of us sitting in this room under the sound of my voice that's ever had a whip put to your back for the cause of Christ. You've never had one rock to bounce off of your head because of the cause of... You've never spent one night in a jail cell. But yet Acts 16, Paul and Silas have been beaten with an inch of their lives. They're thrown in the inner dungeon. That inner dungeon was a nasty place. That inner dungeon was a place that was cold and dark and, and moldy. That inner dungeon was the place where, where all of the refuse was washed from all of the rest of the, all of the, rest of the, uh, of the prisoners. It stunk. Here they are sitting in that mess and they're beaten and they're, they're locked together with chains. And yet Luke says at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises. Look at the tunnel vision of a man by the name of Paul. He didn't have it. He, he understood. This, this is a part of it. Working for the kingdom when you don't feel like it, it's a part of it. You know, we're working for the kingdom of God when, you know, when, when you're sick, it's a part of it. Working for the kingdom when you'd rather be laying on a beach somewhere is a part of it. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, You, you, you preach that word, you be instant. In season and out of season. We misquote that and we misinterpret it and we misuse it. You know, and say, well, you know, you know, you, you're supposed to be ready at all times now. You know, you may get called on to preach when you're not supposed to preach. You know, Paul did say be instant in season and out of season. That's not what Paul was meaning. Paul told Timothy, you be in season. You preach. You preach when people want to hear it. You preach that word. And out of season. When people don't want to hear it. Timothy, you still preach the word. It's just a part of it. David said, my eyes are weary. They grow old 
because of mine enemies. It, it grows old. Again, this is reminiscent of the depression of spirit. The emotional distress to the point that David has about reached the end of his limit. He, he's going about as far as he can. As we discussed last week, it seems that as if God did not consider David's limits to bear his grief. David said, I got, I got limitations here. It's almost like God's not even considering the, the limitations of, of the king. You know, when he allows this to come on him. But yet, but yet look, beginning in verse number 8. I asked the question, what happens to David suddenly? Because between verse 7 and verse number 8, that somewhere in, in between those two verses of Scripture, there is a change in the mind. There's a change in the thinking of David. There's a change in the spirit of David. That there's a change. What, 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 what is it? Scripture doesn't indicate. However, at some point, there's a drastic change in the demeanor of David. He was depressed, but now he's defiant. Not toward God, but toward his antagonist. He had reached his limit, but now he seems to have a fresh surge of faith. He was in despair, but now there is newfound confidence. Everyone, everyone has times of discouragement and even despair. There's no exceptions. These times can last for varying lengths of time. Sometimes when things seem to be going the wrong direction, faith can grow weak and one can wonder, you know, where is God? We, we should be able to take confidence in the Scripture. That said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 13 where Paul said, There is no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Amen. I, I want to I state that last phrase again. But God is faithful. There is no temptation that has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Every man has had pain in his body. Every man has had times of physical hardship, emotional problems, spiritual dilemmas. It's come to everybody. See, even James did, made the statement, Think it not strange. I think it was James when fiery trials try you as though some strange thing is happening to you. Ain't nothing strange happening to you. It's happened to everybody. Sinner and saint alike. It's not something weird going on. It's common to every man. 
So Paul said there's no temptation that's overcome you except, except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. See, the whole thrust of verse number 13 is really not focusing on your temptation. Because he's saying, no temptation has taken you except what's common to man. But what Paul is trying to get the Corinthians to focus on is the fact that God is faithful. Even in the middle of trial, God is faithful. In the middle of hardship, God is faithful. In the middle of sickness, God is faithful. Faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. That's what a lot of people need to keep in their mind when they're, when they're in a trial. You know, if, if God allows it, He knows I'm coming through this thing. That ought to do away with the blinders. That right there should do away with the tunnel vision. What you're able but will, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And boy, like David, we sure do have hard times, don't we? And we just can't see straight. We can't see anything for our problem. And David is trying to ensure the body of Christ that if God allows you to go in it, He knows you are able through His power to come out of it. But see, we, we forget all about that. We forget that. We forget that. Well, I just can't do this. I just can't do that. I just can't do the other. I just can't do this. I just can't do... I told my wife one time, I said, I wish to God I could run across some people that says, you know what, I believe I can do that. I believe I can I can do... You, you know, hey... Somebody needs to teach a Bible stuff. Well, I just can't do that, preacher. Somebody needs to knock on this door. I just can't do that. Sometimes I, I wonder, is there anybody left anymore that can do? So we lose, we lose sight of the promises of God. It's almost like they're erased from our memory. So all I can see is a problem. All I can see is the way somebody said something on Facebook. We, 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 we don't have tunnel vision when it comes to that junk. Did you see what so and so posted? Well, no. Go ahead and enlighten me because I know you want to. Go, go ahead and tell me you're dying to anyway or you'd have never asked if I saw it. 
We don't have tunnel vision then. But yet when it comes to what we're supposed to do in the kingdom, sometimes we are rendered virtually useless because we totally forget the promises of God. When God all along saying, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. But let me get to where I want to go. In verse number 8, here comes the change. Are you ready for it? Now he's been crying. He's been moaning. He's been groaning. He's been withering away on the vine. When he said in verse number 2, I'm weak. He's he's asked God, how long, O Lord? How long is it going to be? But but listen, somewhere something got a hold of the mind and the spirit of David because now where he was talking about his weakness and his groaning and his crying and his eyes not working right and all of that kind of stuff, somehow David, David comes to his senses. And he says, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. Now wait, now, hang on just a minute, David. I mean, just, just, just three verses before this, you're talking about all your crying, your bed's wet, your couch is wet, your eyes don't work right because of your grief. I don't know when it happened, but I know it did happen. There was obviously something inside of David that said, you know what, today is the day. I'm sick and tired of sitting around and worrying about all of this kind of stuff. Let me just take this little sidebar, tell you about this worrying. We got any worry warts in here? Any? Any worry warts? Well, some of y'all lie about something else too. Let me tell you something about this worrying business. Worrying is actually telling God you know more about this situation than He does. God, I know more about this than you do. And it's almost like God, and it's almost if I could hear the Lord, you know, respond to that. It'd almost be like, then why are you sitting around where? Why aren't you up doing something about it then? If you know more about it than I do, do something. Well, let's, let's move on. I don't know when it happened. I don't know how it happened. But I'm going to tell you something right now. There was a 100% change of direction. In the mind and the spirit of David. Because he said all of you that work iniquity. You depart from me. Because God has heard the voice of my weeping. You know not long ago he's asking how long oh Lord. But now something has changed. And he said I'm going to all of you. All of you that are workers of iniquity. 
I believe he's directly addressing Absalom and all of those people that lined themselves with Absalom and says, I'm going to tell you something right now. You better get ready and you better get ready to depart from me, all you that work iniquity, because I'm going to tell you, I've had a period of weeping. I've had a period of depression. I've had a period of anxiety. I've had a period that my eyes aren't working right. But I'm going to tell you right now, God has heard the voice of my weeping. He's heard me. He's heard me. Would to God that every child of God have the same confidence in God that David seems to have at this time. God's people need to know your prayers are heard by God. Now He may not answer like you want Him to answer. But your prayers are heard by God. The prophet Isaiah said it like this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is His ear heavy that it cannot hear. I'm telling you, God hears the cries of the weeping of His people. Verse number 9. The Lord has heard... Not just the voice of my weeping, but the Lord has heard my supplication and God will receive my prayer. David's just restating the fact as he knows it. God is faithful to hear the prayers of His children. God's heard me. Verse number 10, David then issues somewhat of another warning to his enemies. When he says, let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. He's warning them. You better turn back. You better stop what you're doing. Because God has received. He's, He's received my prayer. He's heard the voice of my weeping. And God's not going to leave me in this place that I'm in right now. One writer says it like this. David makes four affirmations about the future of his enemies when he says, all my enemies. Number one, they're going to be ashamed. Number two, they're going to shake in terror. That's the meaning of being Greatly troubled. They're going to shake in terror. Number three, they are going to turn back. And number four, they're going to suddenly, suddenly be disgraced. One writer writer summarizes this verse. And he does it well. He says, just as certain as David is that his prayers have been have been accepted just so assured is he of the complete overthrow of his enemies we need to go back to the verse of scripture that reminds us that weeping endures for the night But joy 
You, you know what that verse really means? You know what the history is? The cultural history behind that verse is? Here it is. In the Middle Eastern culture. You had somebody that was traveling because they didn't have a lot of, a lot of hotels and motels and things like that back in those days. Somebody's traveling. They stop at your house and say, I want to lodge with you tonight. Even if you did not like that person. Even as if he was an enemy. It was incumbent upon you to lodge him and feed him for the night. That was customary. And so even if it was an enemy, weeping endures for the night. He's my enemy. I've got to take care of him. I've got to lodge him. I've got to feed him. I've got to treat him like a guest. But let me tell you something. Tomorrow morning is a different story. Because tomorrow morning... I can usher him on his way on down the road. And so weeping may endure for the night, but joy is coming in the morning. Amen? Joy is coming in the morning. Amen? So, so is, is, there a, is there a time to weep? Solomon said there is. Is there a time to mourn? Oh, yes. There's a time and a season for all things. But see, when, when all we do is just sit around and moan and groan and sing the blues and, and use excuses of why I can't and I can't and I can't and I can't. I'm going to tell you something. You're out of season. There's a time for the tears to stop. And you get up and you be like David. All of you that are workers of iniquity, you can depart from me because God has heard the voice of my weeping. That change. That change. That change that came suddenly or came about in David needs to come about in every man and woman in this place tonight. I'm not using excuses any longer. If I think that I can't do something, there's a great chance that that's what the Lord may be asking me to do. Because I'm going to tell you something right now. God is not a God that expects you just to remain and be used where your physical capabilities are. But if you listen to the voice of God, God's going to ask you to do things that in your mind you can't do. Because as long as I can do it, you're going to live in the realm of the flesh. And you're going to think like flesh. And you're going to act like flesh. 
and you're going to be subject to the flesh. But when God asks you to step out of the realm or the confines of your flesh and start working by faith through the Spirit of God, then you understand, you realize, I can't do this on my, on my own, but this is, what, this is what God is calling me to do. And, and I've got to step up. I, I've got to do it. I, I don't know why in the world God would call somebody to preach like me. On the verge of being socially retarded. A total introvert. Preach. God, I can't do that. I, I, I could care less if I even talked to anybody. Just let me sit in my room and read and study and let the world go by. But God said, as long as you operate in the abilities of your flesh, you're going you're gonna to act like flesh. You're going to be subject to flesh. You're going to have the excuses of flesh. And you're going to think like flesh. But until we begin to step out in faith in the realm of the Spirit, because see, we have been told to walk in the Spirit. See, and some of you think the only implications of that verse of Scripture, you know, is just, well, if I walk in the Spirit now, I'm not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, so my flesh is nasty and it's dirty and it's, it's got these lusts. And, and, and if I'm walking in the flesh, I'm going to satisfy these lusts of my flesh. But if I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm not going to satisfy the lust of the flesh. Well, can I tell you something? You know, when walking in the Spirit just to stay away from the lust of the flesh is not the only implications of that verse of Scripture. Because I'm going to tell you something right now. Your flesh doesn't want to step out in faith. Your flesh will sit there until the rapture comes and you say, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. You know what that is? You know what's talking? Your flesh is talking. And when we all the time can't, we're not spiritual people, we're carnal people. Because we're walking in the realm of the flesh. I can't do it. And all the time God's saying, no, but you can. No, I can't either. No, I can't. No, I can't. Come on, Moses. You can do this. I picked you to do it. No, I can't. God, I can't. Oh, but Moses, I picked you to do it. Oh, I can't. I, I can't talk to people, God. You know, you know how bad I am when it comes to talking to people. I just can't talk to people. I can't. I can't, I can't. We're walking in the realm of the flesh. There's got to be a change. David said, I wish I knew. I wish Scripture had given some kind of insight on what happened to David and when it happened. But it doesn't. Gives no indication, gives no insight. The only thing you see is weeping, crying, grief, anxiety, and depression until that one day 
David stood up and said, I'm going to tell you all something right now. 